humanitarian impact of COVID-19 and the immediate social and economic consequences of the many restrictions governments have put in place to try to bring the virus under control. Um, governments have announced large fiscal and monetary stimulus packages to address immediate hardship and mitigate the economic impacts arising directly and indirectly from the spread of the virus. But to date, these have been less effective than governments may have hoped at calming market volatility and broader social concerns, and those concerns increasing as the restrictions on individuals' movements um, uh, are, are tightened. In the UK, the immediate focus of companies and other organisations has been on the health and welfare of their employees, their teams, and maintaining their business as far as possible through the preservation of their supply chain and management of operational issues arising from the restrictions, including the challenge of large-scale remote working and the prospect of absenteeism caused by illness, broader restrictions that are now in place, for example, in the UK and other factors. And whilst the health and safety of staff and customers are the overwhelming priorities at this time, the implications of these rather odd and unprecedented times are numerous and they're still emerging. My name is James Doe. I'm a partner in the Disputes Division. I'm going to speak briefly about the impact of COVID-19 on material commercial contracts, such as service contracts, material supply arrangements, construction contracts, and outsourcing agreements. The current situation has impacted and will continue to disrupt the supply chain at every level. For example, customers may struggle to meet payment obligations or find it difficult to achieve spend volume commitments. Suppliers, on the other hand, will have supply chain issues of their own, together with personnel and financial issues, which impact their performance. The first point to note is that certainly as a matter of English law, very little relief is provided outside the terms of the contracts themselves. For example, the common law doctrine of frustration only applies in exceptional circumstances where performance is essentially impossible, not just temporarily delayed. However, other legal systems may well be more generous than English law, so bear in mind the, uh, the governing law of your agree agreements and take appropriate advice on those. The initial focus should be, therefore, on the terms of the relevant contract to identify any prescribed relief or remedy for the current situation. There are a number of common provisions which might assist. First and foremost, uh, the one most people think of is force majeure. I will discuss force majeure in a little more detail in a moment. Other relevant provisions include business continuity and disaster recovery provisions, change in law provisions, service level default, step down and liquidated damages for delay, delivery or completion, and provisions which provide relief from those sanctions. Material adverse change provisions, guarantees, indemnities and performance bonds may also be relevant, enhanced cooperation and stepping clauses, and in extreme cases, termination provisions. A little bit more about force majeure. Force majeure is certainly a provision everyone thinks of in situations like this, but it should not be assumed that it will always provide relief, or at least as much relief as you might expect. Force majeure is not a concept under English law, unlike in other legal systems. It is purely a creation of the contract, so the precise terms and meaning are very important. And the terms and meaning of force majeure will differ from contract to contract. Some contracts will have very sophisticated force majeure provisions, others very limited provisions. But generally speaking, force majeure clauses tend to have a few common features. Events need to be outside the control of either party to be force majeure. 
Furthermore, those events could need not have been anticipated at the time the contract was entered in, into. And that raises a question about whether contracts entered into in the last couple of weeks and certainly now going forward would actually have, uh, well, COVID would actually trigger the force measure provisions in those contracts because, of course, everyone now anticipates the problems being caused. And, of course, those events need to have impacted on the performance of the contract in order for force majeure to be triggered. Some for force majeure definitions include specific reference to pandemics and government action, and others do not. Some clauses expressly exclude certain events, such as action of governments in other countries, not the country in which performance is undertaken. So, for example, the actions of the Italian government might not constitute force majeure if ultimate performance takes place in the UK. And this is irrespective of whether some materials or services might come from Italy. Notification of force majeure is often also very important and is often described as a condition precedent to relief, so extreme care needs to be taken. In terms of the relief that can be provided by force majeure clauses, these often include the right to suspend performance, granting of extensions of time for delivery or completion, or other relief from breaches of contract. So what practical steps can be taken to protect your rights under these material contracts in this difficult time? Firstly, identify those contracts which will have the most material impact on your business if they are disrupted. Next, review your contract provisions to identify what provisions might provide relief and remedy in the current situation. That might not just include force majeure. There may be more constructive provisions, such as enhanced cooperation step-in provisions, price review and adjustment provisions, and business continuity provisions, which might all help. Whatever provisions are triggered by the, con the current situation, understand what they are and follow any procedures to the letter as, uh, as much as possible. Whether you're a party claiming relief or whether the party receiving requests for relief, it is important to keep a careful record of the financial impacts, the delay and disruption caused by the current events. There is a risk that any claims will be contested once the current crisis has passed, and it's important to have evidence available to support your position. We all hope that counterparties will be reasonable and understanding given the situation. But you can't take that for granted and it shouldn't be assumed. So the key takeaways are, check your contract, what terms might assist in the current situation, and it might just be more than force majeure. Make sure you comply with any notification or other procedural requirements that might be conditions precedent to relief. And finally, maintain records and information regarding the impact of the current crisis in terms of finance, delays and disruption. Thanks very much, James. My name is Gavin Davies. I head our M&A practice. We are all facing more pressing issues, both business and personal, than transactions. Um, nonetheless, um, in the past few weeks and in the coming, we have been in the coming few weeks, we expect to be assisting clients on M&A and other deals. That's deals that are stuck somewhere between signing and closing, deals within the course of negotiation, auction processes which are launched or indeed about to be launched, and indeed also in discussing new M&A that might be coming out of the exigencies of the current circumstances. Obviously, we work in a very changed business environment now, um, and everybody in M&A circumstances is looking not only at the changes to the target businesses, but to all counterparties. Um, as we heard from James, you know, you've got to look up and down the supply chains and to all other contract counterparties to understand the effects on your particular business. 
as we heard, it's all about conserving cash, absolute focus on liquidity at the moment. That means that sellers may be more motivated than ever to close deals to raise cash and indeed to start new deals. It's likely to mean that some buyers are keen actually not to progress with M&A because they want to conserve cash. So in terms of uh, transactions at the moment, um, there are deals which are in pre-agreement stage, deals that are being negotiated where there might be heads of terms, some kind of exclusivity agreement, perhaps some consortium bid agreement. And there the parties are looking at those, considering whether they want to go ahead and looking at the cost, their ability and indeed the cost for actually exiting those pre-type arrangements. On private deals, um, and that's particularly share purchase agreements, um, where they are somewhere between signing and closing, that will be because a condition precedent has not been satisfied. And that is usually a merger control condition precedent, but could be some kind of foreign direct investment um, consent that's needed, or perhaps shareholder approval, or perhaps even employee consultation. It's unusual in European deals to have MAC um, to adverse change termination rights. They might be in there. But parties are also looking at events of defaults and breaches of warranties and pre-closing covenants. In particular, if you are a seller, between signing and closing, you've probably agreed quite extensive rights of the buyer to um, monitor, indeed, you know, requirement to consult on the conduct of your business at the moment. And you'll want to be thinking about what that means in terms of the actions you're taking relating to the virus. Of course, it's likely that some deals are economically distorted, in particular deals where there's a lockbox pricing mechanism or there's some sort of anticipated earn-out payment to the seller that perhaps isn't going to be the, the case now. Currency is also very important in terms of you know, the underlying base currency of the target uh, business and the currency that the buyer is, is, is paying for and where it gets its own currency for, given where the markets are on that we're even seeing circumstances where certain deals are being um, de-linked um, and elements that can be closed are being closed and elements that aren't are being suspended. It's important to remember that if you've got listed buyers or sellers, um, they may need shareholder approval and that might prove logistically difficult and indeed there might be change in appetite by shareholders. It's also to remember that any changes to where the deal is and whether it's likely to get um, closed might be inside information requiring updating to the market. Um, it's important to remember that in public takeovers, there is uh, certainly in the UK very limited circumstances in which those can be pulled. And it's also important to remember that where deals are leveraged deals, that means the buyer's got acquisition finance for them. Where the deals have been signed, everyone will look carefully to see whether there are any draw stop abilities for the um, lenders to pull. And indeed, it's likely to, uh, that market is likely to be difficult going forward. And so question, will that you know, impede private equity buyers uh, going forward, lack of availability of finance? What are people doing immediately? Well, they're reviewing underlying deal rationales and the economics, and perhaps certain um, buyers are becoming less reluctant and seeking to reopen negotiation with the sellers. Um, those who want to go ahead are identifying the obstacles to satisfying the CPs, uh, thinking particularly about how to get through regulators in these challenging times and seeking to accelerate the progress of their deals where they can. Um, and everybody's thinking about the new practical challenges of doing M&A at the moment. Um, are your board's investment committees and key people available? Can you get hold of signatories? How do you pre 
put data rooms together when people can't access the information because it's locked in offices that are shut? Can you convene in-person meetings of shareholders or management teams or indeed employees for consultations? We are all going to be adapting to a new environment in the future. That's a new regulatory environment, seeing around all of our regulators, whether it's merge control, FDI, or indeed other people like the courts and the company's registries. We're following what they're doing operationally to understand if they're still available, and, and, and they are teleworking at the moment, but they are available generally. And we're looking at what they're doing substantively as well. We're also thinking about what other market participants are key in M&A, and for example, the availability of the warranty and indemnity insurance market has been a key feature in Europe for recent years. So that staying open, I think, will be very key to all of it. And then I think what we're doing is we're thinking about new terms that deals will be done on, what do people need to add into the usual process, what new diligence needs to be done, what new warranties should we be asking for, and new pre-closing covenants and termination rights, particular focus around employees, of course. And as James said, of course, what we need to remember now is the virus is a known risk that puts it in a slightly different place when you uh, contract around it. Just turning now to uh, competition authorities, both in terms of what that means for M&A, but also more generally. Um, of course, the full range of competition issues still apply. Uh, of course, they, the competition authorities will be facing practical difficulties. There are existing reliefs um, within current regimes, and there may be new reliefs brought in, um, and we might be expecting quite more significant government intervention in many ways. So this calls out the focus of regulators at the moment on excessive pricing, uh, exploitation of the current situation. It, it shows how, in fact, the uh, governments are becoming more flexible in allowing limited information sharing between competitors to help, for example, by facilitating the supply of um, goods by, by supermarkets. Um, it points out how merger control, the process is slowing down, but there's been given no relief for the actual statutory time periods. It's a reminder that FDI, foreign direct investment, is also something that needs to be looked at, and some governments are using that to protect themselves at the moment. In particular, Spain has put in new measures preventing foreign direct investment over a certain threshold from non-EU members, and it's a reminder that state aid rules still apply, although um, there are exceptions, and indeed the EU is moving quickly um, to deal with uh, reliefs that are sought. The ongoing guidance here is to monitor proposed emergency changes to regimes, monitor the operation of those regulatory authorities, and uh, possibly anticipate significant government intervention in industries. We've already seen the government step in to take over the UK rail franchises. There's a lot of discussion in the UK and elsewhere about government stepping in to take equity stakes in airlines and other troubled businesses. We could not um, sensibly or comprehensively or exhaustively have covered all of the issues raised today in great detail. Um, we will um, already have on our COVID-19 hub a number of materials that go into some of these subjects in greater depth. So please either get in touch with us directly or look on our hub if you would like more information on any of the points that we've covered. And finally, uh, as I said at the start, please do take a few minutes to provide some feedback as we do value and learn from your input on these sessions. Thank you all for listening in, and I hope you all stay safe and well.